Good morning, good morning. Today's breakfast and class is dedicated in loving memory and Li'ilui Nishmat, Aryeh Ben Moshe and Ruth Shulamit, Alema Shalom, sponsored anonymously, and as well in loving memory of Bueno Valabrega, Alema Shalom, Li'ilui Nishmat, Bueno Buno Ben Leon and Anita, Alema Shalom, sponsored by his son Daniel Valabrega. Okay, so we, um, we are in a fascinating parasha. There's many, many different things to look at and to see and to think about uh, in the parasha of Lech Lecha. It is in many ways a parasha that explains and expresses the Jewish people's eternal journey. You think about the fact that the Jewish people have been to more places on earth than any nation, not by a factor of one or two, but by a factor of a hundred. In, in, in t- today in our world, there are Jews in over 100 countries. You know, we're on every, every single continent. It's an amazing thing to think about. And I think perhaps maybe that was one of the secret understandings that God was communicating to Abraham Avinu when he said, Lech lecha me'artzecha, el ha'aretz asher areka. I, I want you to go, but he doesn't tell him where he's going. He just tells him, I want you to travel. It's almost as if from the beginning of time, the Jewish people's destiny was to be in transition and to travel. Perhaps the reason for that is because if God intended that the Jewish people were going to be a light unto the nations, how could they affect the nations if they weren't amongst all of the nations? So in a certain sense, Judaism kind of uh, camps in a place until you know there's an expulsion and they get up and they move to another place after having made uh, their impact in each and every country, you know, on the face of the globe. It's a remarkable story, the story of the Jewish journey. Now, I want to focus on one thing that happens in the parasha, because I think that many of the messages that we're being given in Lech Lecha, they are there in order to be able to, uh, um, in order to be able to communicate uh, ideas that would be necessary for the journey. So. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, sometimes you go on a trip and you start to think of all the things that you're going to need uh, along the way, right? You need a certain amount of clothes, certain type of clothes, you need these kind of shoes, you need, if you're going to go to a wedding, you need your dancing shoes, if you're going to go rock climbing, you need your sneakers. There's different things that a person needs when they're, on, when they're going on a journey and they have to figure out what they need to pack you know, to have on that journey. If there's not kosher food, you know, you have to bring a suitcase first of, uh, full, of, full of food for the Jewish, you know, for kosher people. So there's lots of different things that a person needs on their journey. And I think many of the elements that we learn about in Abraham's life, like the Gemara tells us, Ma'aseh Avot, Siman Levanim. Ma'aseh Avot, the deeds of the forefathers, Siman is a sign for something that the children would need in the fullness of time. So I think there's a, a tremendous amount of life lessons. The journey of life are found in, in, the, in the parashiot that discuss that, you know, the, the unfolding life saga of the Avot. And I wanted to focus on one of them with you today. Abraham, he takes on a, uh, a nephew. His name is Lot. Lot's father, Haran, dies in, uh, in, uh, um, in, in his hometown, okay? In Ur Kasdim. And with no one to look after him, Abraham takes him on. He brings him along with him and he, uh, uh, you know, and he takes him with him. And Lot becomes very attached and very close to Abraham Avinu. Almost like a brother. They're there together in everything that they do. 
and Abraham's success also becomes Lot's success. And Lot starts to do very well for himself because of his connection with the big man, with Abraham, with Abraham Ha'etan. Comes the story and tells us, the Torah tells us the story, that there breaks, a, breaks out a fight between the shepherds of Abraham and the shepherds of Lot. And what are they fighting about exactly? Does anyone remember? They're fighting over grazing procedures. Abraham has a lot of sheep. Lot has a lot of sheep. They need to be able to graze the animals. And Lot's sheep, they don't muzzle the animals. They let the animals graze wherever they want. Abraham, on the other hand, his animals are always muzzled. They only want to be able to eat from land which is free to pasture in. So the shepherds of Abraham are going out into the desert. What's the machloket between Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds? Um, Chazal tell us, they explain, Rashi says, that Lot says, the shepherds of Lot say to the shepherds of Abraham, God promised this land to Abraham. Abraham, we know, has no kids. Who's going to inherit Abraham after he dies? Lot. So this land, anyway, is destined one day to be mine. If that's the case, then feeding off the land that's ultimately going to be yours, you're not stealing anything. Now, first of all, that's a fascinating a bit of a distorted logic. That's like a child saying to their parents, I don't need to ask you if I can borrow your car, because one day you're going to die and the car is going to be mine. Rohi, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> you know, hit pause on the eulogy. I'm not, you know, I'm not dead yet. So Abraham is not dead. He says, you know, he's, what he's, what's... And if Abraham is being careful not to eat from the land that's going to be his, you know, so then surely Lot, who's supposed to be inheriting it from him, should at least have the very same level of decency. However, we're not going to get into that, into the, into the argument. I just want to focus on two words in this section. The Pasuk says, and there was a, a reeve, a fight, an argument between the Ro'eh Lot, the shepherds of Lot, and the Ro'eh Abraham, and the shepherds of Abraham. Abraham hears that there's murmuring on the WhatsApp, on the shepherds' WhatsApp chat, okay? That the shepherds are, you know, are chattering about each other with each other. And Abraham comes to Lot and says, Let there not be a fight between you and me. The Ben Ishchai asks, special for you, Haron, the Ben Ishchai asks a magnificent question. He says, the Pasuk starts out and says, that there's reev between the shepherds of Lot and the shepherds of Abraham. Why doesn't Abraham say, let there not be a reev between me and you? What's going on with our workers doesn't have to infect us, right? So he should have used the same word, but he switches the word from reev to miriva. Rashi tells us, what's the difference between reev and miriva? Reev is the masculine form of that word. In Hebrew language, Many words have a masculine form and a feminine form. And it doesn't mean that the thing is masculine. It means the usage of the word in the masculine state. So as an example, the word ten can be said ese or asara. One is masculine, one is feminine. It doesn't mean that there's a, ma- that there's a ten that goes out in a dress and high heels and that there's a ten that wears a tuxedo. It means that in a, on a language level, there's a masculine and feminine expression of those words. And there are other languages as well that have this interesting conundrum. Says the Ben Ishchai, 
Why does Abraham switch from the male fight to the female fight? He says something magnificent. He says, Reeve describes a fight that has no continuity. It's masculine. It, it can fight, we can argue about this, but after we're done arguing about this, it doesn't go from here to anywhere else. Miriva is feminine. It goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Now before I get a bunch of uh, women messaging me saying that that's a sexist thing to say, and women don't fight more than men, and women don't jump from one topic to that, that's not what I'm trying to say. That's not what the point is. The Ben Ishkai explains that Miriva is feminine because the process of a woman allows for something, her to give birth to something. That from something that was, uh, that was placed inside of her womb, she's capable of taking that, nurturing it, and turning it into an entirely new thing. Okay? Escalation. Escalation. To, to develop, to be fruitful and multiply, to take something that's in one place and to turn it into something which gets bigger, that escalates, that variates, that becomes larger. So it says the Ben Ishchai that Abraham communicates to Lot and he says, you know, I know that there is a reality to, to fight certain fights. Some fights, that, you know, I think you can graze, you think you can graze. Chalas, we have a difference of opinion. But what we're seeing today in society actually is this expression of miriva, where no one is allowed to argue with anybody else in a contained space. It's not that I and you can argue about A and that's where it ends, but if I and you argue about A, then we have to argue about B, C, D, E, A, F, G, right? I, I keep talking about this because it's most obviously seen in the world of politics between Republicans and Democrats. You don't have a possibility if you're a Republican of seeing anything wrong with the Republican side of things. And you don't have a possibility of seeing anything wrong if you're a Democrat with the Democratic side of things. You think automatically that everything that your party line says is 100% correct. It cannot be that there's anything wrong about what my, me and my team, your team is wrong. Abraham understands that what takes place between our shepherds, if we don't stop it now, it spreads to us, and then it's my team, and it's your team, and I have to choose sides, and you have to choose sides, and we're not gonna get along on anything. Abraham says, and I know it's so poisonous, the process of teaching, the process of, uh, of arguing, and of, of miriva, of fighting, that ultimately it will subsume and it will infect everything. We need to have a clean break now, in order to be able to have shalom, we need to break up now. We need space. You choose a way, I'll choose a way, no problem. And look at how clever Abraham is. Abraham says, if we need space, I don't want to fight with you. So he doesn't say, I'll go here. He doesn't say, I'll take there. Because the nature of a fight is immediately everyone who's in a fight feels that they are the victim. And since they are the victim, Anything that you choose in the fight is going to continue perpetuating my victimhood. So as an example, someone complains about the fact that there's racism or sexism or, or, uh, you know, or nepotism or any kind of ism other than Judaism, okay? They say this is a problem. So what do you respond? You say, you know what, you're right. You're saying that there's nepotism in the company. I'm not going to promote my son. I'm going to promote you to vice president. The person says immediately, vice president, you see, I told you. 
The only reason why you're making me vice president is to sideline me, so that ultimately you can make your son the president. The guy just jumped 900 ranks in the company. It's not enough. Abraham says to Lot, he says, listen, we're fighting. We need space. You choose. Where do you want to go? You choose. You go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Whatever you want. The highest value for Abraham in this scenario is peace. So he doesn't care what Lot chooses. Because even if he winds up at a disadvantage in the situation, the advantage ultimately is that it got him out of this poisonous fight. And sometimes, Rabotai, you have to lose in order to win Shalom. But seen properly, that's the biggest win. So Rabotai, this concept of Riv and Miriva, let's take a look at it for one second under a little bit of a magnifying glass. Okay? Listen to this idea because I think it's brilliant. The Ben Ishchai continues and he says, you know the Pasuk says, Eretz al bilima. God holds Eretz al bilima. The word bilima. Says the Gemara, what do we learn from here? Anyone who closes his mouth in a time of a meriva when someone's fighting against him, what do we say to that person? The person is Zocheh to Olam Abai, he gets all sorts of Berachot. And we're all familiar with this idea. Rav Chaim Kanievsky used to teach when people would come to him for a Beracha, he just want to sit and learn. So he would say, first he would say, you know, Beracha Vatzlacha. Eventually, Hazit, they had lines of people waiting for him to say Beracha Vatzlacha. The guy only wants to sit and learn Torah. He's not a Rebbe, he's not a Baba, he's not a Mikubal, he's not taking money for you coming to say Beracha Vatzlacha. So he shortened it even more. He shortened it to Bua. Bua. So a friend of mine was telling me the other day that someone went to him and he asked him for a Beracha and he said, Bua. He says, What do you mean? There's Jish, the Almana. How can you see? What's it called? She has children, you told me. You can't just say Bua. He's right. He says, You're right. Bua, Bua. <laughs> he gave a double, a double dose of Bua. Okay? So Rav Chaim Kanievsky said, Look, you're coming to me for Berachot. You want a Beracha? Go to Gemara says, that a person who closes his mouth during an argument and he doesn't perpetuate the fight, he doesn't let it grow, that person is capable of giving berachot. Better you should go get a berachot from him. And as we've said many times, there are countless stories of people who have kept their mouth quiet while someone was embarrassing or humiliating them. And they were able to ask for unbelievable yeshuot, unbelievable berachot in their life, and those berachot uh, came to fruition. I think... Perhaps one could be cynical and say Rav Chaim Kanievsky is just pointing you off so he doesn't have to say more buas. But actually the Gemara says it, that this is somebody that is capable of doing unbelievable yeshuot. So Rabotai, the Ben Ishchai says, when you look at that Gemara, you want to know where the Beracha is when you close your mouth in a fight? Listen to what he says. He says, it doesn't say in a time of Reeve. He says, it, he says it in the time of Miriva. I want to give you an example. Let's say you said to me, Shlomo, you know, you're not in the best shape that you could be in. What am I going to answer to that? It's true. I'm a rabbi. Rabbis don't come in good shape. But we come in a shape, usually round. But you know that's also a shape. But, well, you know, it's not, you know, you tell me, Shlomo, you're not in great shape. What am I going to respond to that? There isn't what to respond to that. It's true. Let's say I don't respond to something that I have no response to. Is that kola bolem beef? No. There's no merit and there's no reward when you keep your mouth shut and you have nothing to say. 
The reward comes when you have what to say. The reward comes where what the person said is actually wrong. And I could correct them. And I could win this argument. And I could cut them in half. I have what to say. I'm capable of putting the person in their place. Not riv. When I shut my mouth on riv. On a fight where if I open up my mouth, that ends the fight. You know when the sakhar is? When I have something to say that will actually carry this along. So Rabbi in the words of one of the great sages, we didn't start the fire, right? We didn't start the fire. But a lot of people think that when you don't start the fire, it's not on you to not stick a couple more logs in. But the Gemara is telling us, if you have a chance and you see a fight is about to blow up and you know that you could say something and that's going to blow this whole thing wide open, the sakha that you get in that moment is unbelievable. So Abraham comes to Lot and he says, please, there should not be this war between us. And whatever we have to pay, pay for that for that is worth the price. And I think the line that he says at the end is so magnificent. Why? Why do we have to make this sacrifice? Why do we need space? Why do we need to make this painful separation? How come? Because we're brothers. Avraham and Lot weren't actually even brothers. But they were enough like brothers. <clears throat> they were not truly immediate family. But they were enough family. They were in-laws. They were, uh, you know, they were uh, uncle and nephew. Like, that's enough. Avraham says, that's enough family that I'm willing to pay whatever price. I think that there's a tremendous lesson here. You know, sometimes I think when people say certain things, they don't realize that actually they're using the logic in an upside-down way. Can I give you an example? I'll give you an example. Let's say someone says to you, you know, you shouldn't be so hard on him. He's your son. The implication is that because he's my son, I shouldn't be hard on him. Dib, why do you think I'm being hard on him? I don't find the guy in the subway and I'm hard on him. I don't tell this random dude sitting, you know, homeless in the street, you need to get up and go to Shacharit. You know, I don't, that, that's not a thing that I'm going to do. He's not related, connected to me. I don't feel responsible for him. I don't feel like I need to influence that person. The reason why I'm in this situation with my son is because he's my son. Don't come to me and tell me, don't be so hard on him. He's your son. You know, people all the time talk about not fighting with family. But who do we fight with the most if not for family? Who do we fight with the most if not for our business partners? Who do we fight with the most if not for the ones that are closest to us? And part of the reason why we fight with those people is because we can't walk away. The easiest thing in the world is to just leave. Like, the, like we say, what's it called? Um, uh, in, Elie Wiesel used to say, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Like, if I don't love you, whatever, okay, no, you know, no worries. Uh, I, I, I don't need, I'm not worried about this or you or our, us fighting or... The fact that people are fighting, if they're still fighting, it means they still love. Because it means they're willing to hang in and fight so that they can get to some level of resolution. 
Abraham understood that in this fight, it wasn't. It's not going to get. Any, it's not going to go anywhere. And I was wondering, why did Abraham think that he couldn't resolve this machloket with Lot? Why didn't he try? There's a fight between the shepherds. Abraham should come down, get, open up all the gemaras, you know, the shulchan aruch. Tell him, look, you see, it says over here that you're not allowed to eat from the thing. And look, and you're saying that it's because of the inheritance, but I didn't inherit it yet, so we just said it over here over breakfast in Safra. Abraham Avinu couldn't say that to Lot. And I thought of something that it was so powerful, it almost made me cry. You know why Abraham couldn't say anything to Lot? What was the real answer as to why Lot couldn't have his sheep or his things graze here? One part of the answer is that it's not Abraham's yet. But what's the real answer? The real answer is, although I don't have a son yet, I'm going to have a son. Lot, in this scenario, is like Abraham's son. It's his stepson. It's his foster son. He looks after him. He raises him. You see, he even in the war, he goes out and he saves him. He risks his <clears throat> life for him. Lot means everything to Abraham. If the only answer to this fight to Lot is that there's someone who's going to come in who's going to be closer to me, that's not something that could calm the fuel of the fire. Because there's nothing that hurts a person more, like we said in the story of Chava, than to feel that they are going to be replaced. That there's someone else that you're going to love or connect to, or someone that's going to mean more to you than them. So Abraham understands that the actual root, the actual argument, the machloket, the discussion, is actually going to get him to a place where Lot's going to be even more hurt than before. So Abraham understands that there's a certain time and place in a fight between parents, children, husbands, wives, you know, business partners, friends, where actually what you need right now is not to say what you need to say. Because if you say that, you'll actually turn a reef into a deeper miriva. And Abraham says, I don't want to say what I need to say. So let me say something else. Sometimes, we have a knockout punch in an argument. Someone will come and say, how come you're not investing in this relationship? A wife will say to the husband, you're not around enough. You're not showing enough love or care or concern. And the husband has what to say. I'm not showing. Every husband is thinking this. Every wife is thinking this. I'm not showing. Who's the one that never shows any love or any affection? How many times have I tried? You're the one that always, and they know what they need to say. You're the one that's always negative. You're the one that's always, and they have an unbelievable, and the answer is fire. But that answer, it, it damages the relationship much more than saying to the person, you know what, I need to think about it. You know what, there's truth there, but you know, I, I understand there's some, taking some of that heat, Abraham, in a certain sense over here, says to Lot, Abraham's done nothing. Abraham's not promised Lot anything. Abraham's not said that shepherds should act one way or another. Abraham is completely blameless. But he knows that to say what he needs to say 
is going to inflame the situation. So Avram says, you know what? I think maybe there's too much, you know, fighting over here between the shepherds. Let's preserve what we have. How many parents wind up not speaking to each other over a fight between their kids? One parent will take the side of one of the children. Another parent will take the side of another one of the children. And they find themselves ruining their marriage over a fight that doesn't belong to them. Rabbi that's what kola bolem piv means. Someone who closes his mouth when they have what to say. He acquires an entire world. And I think on a certain level, we're talking about olam haba, and he achieves unbelievable sakhar in the world to come. But I think there's something else over here. Tole eretz al bilima. Tole eretz means God hangs the world al bilima. And when the Gemara is Doresh Kolabolem Piv, it means that sometimes a person's whole world hangs in the balance as to what he is ready and prepared to say. And this is true in every area of your life. There are moments where someone asks you a question, and the answer to that question or gives you a challenge or insults you. And the answer to that question will either allow the world that is hanging on those words to continue to function or exist, or to blow it up. I knew a couple where, you know, a lot of things happen in the beginning of a marriage where people are immature. And sometimes people can do very hurtful things when they're very young and they don't know better. And when you're young, sometimes a function, a hallmark of immaturity is that you're really looking out for, first and foremost, numero uno yourself. Anyway, a husband and wife, and the husband did something very immature and very selfish. It wasn't something untoward. It was, uh, you know, he kind of on the side opened up another bank account. He didn't, wasn't completely honest with his wife about the money because he felt like, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't want to have... So he opened up and somehow, 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 his wife found out about this account. Anyway, the guy felt bad. You know, here he is, you know, trying to... He should be building a marriage. It's built foremost, first and foremost on trust. So he apologizes. He's never going to do it again. I promise. Da, 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 da. You'll always know. Here's me. I have my passwords. It's fine. Da, da. They work. They overcome this, this moment. Ten years later, they're now married with three kids. They have a great marriage. And one day, they get into a fight. And his wife, with the memory of an elephant... She chooses in this moment, in this fight, to say to him, you know, I knew from right, right when we got married that I would never be able to trust you. This is just like that bank account. Rabotai, within six months, they were divorced. You know why? You know what the guy said to me? He said, I loved her with all my heart. But if 10 years after of proving myself, of showing her that I was there, she could bring this up and tell me and show me 
and stabbed me with a comment that I was not a trustworthy person, that I wasn't a loyal person, that I hadn't grown. And tell me now that she always knew, what chance do I have? Rabotai. And now I want to ask you the saddest question of all. Do you think this woman actually didn't trust her husband? Do you think this woman actually felt that since that day, no, in the heat of the moment, she knew that she had a, a, a chip to play that would shut the argument down. A line so searing, so hot, that there would be no return line from him. So she played the card. And the card blew up a whole world. Sometimes your whole world depends and hangs on keeping your mouth shut. That's the lesson we learned from Abraham. We can't have this fight. You choose a way. You choose a path. Honey, what, what do you want? What, what would you like us to do? And not in the passive-aggressive way. What do you want us to do? Okay, Father, you choose. In a genuine way. In a way where you're trying to retain akhva, brotherhood, friendship, connection. I think that's uh, one of the great lessons that we learn uh, on the journey of Abraham Avinu. The process of being able to build interpersonal relationships in a beautiful and healthy way. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen. Rabbi Chananya ben Akasha Omer, Ratzah HaKadosh